0: I'm Jet Trouble.
1: And I'm Ren Cerebral.
0: And this is A Secret Third Thing, where we discuss life beyond monogamy and polyamory. Today, we're talking about rejection.
1: Yes, we are talking about rejection. I had this inspiration to talk about rejection because... Hmm, why, why did I think about this? Well, I do think it's a very prominent theme that has impacted my own life and relationships and in general when we talk to people who are interested in engaging with our content this seems to be something that is undergirding a lot of the repression and feelings that people have which is the fear of rejection would you say that's true absolutely based on your conversations.
0: definitely yeah even in um the question we addressed in the other podcast, mm-hmm. folks were asking, how do I deal with rejection? And mm-hmm. that it's holding them back from asking for what they desire. Right,
1: yeah, that was such a prominent thing. And mm-hmm. it's funny that I even asked that, like, oh, have you found that? Because I'm doubting myself, but it it just seems to be a fact that the fear of rejection drives a lot of the issues we have interpersonally with one another on a community-wide scale
0: yeah especially in queer and trans community which i think is also rooted in this fear of especially interacting with people in the wild like oh are they queer are they actually trans even though they have three carabiners on their belt and a mullet like you can't can't know these days you know and
1: honestly that yeah and
0: this like very (laughs) real like Because of the world we live in and being taught that that queerness and transness is this perverted uh, thing. I think a lot of us tend to feel inherently creepy Mm -hmm. just for having queer desires, which Mm -hmm. is bullshit. It sucks. And I think Mm -hmm. it really, even in some of the earlier events that I helped to host folks would come in with a lot of big desires and then everyone would be standing around awkwardly like not knowing how to talk to each other
1: (laughs) yes yeah even when the opportunity and possibility is right there in front of you even more than in the wild when i do feel like when people take more risks they might discover that things are a lot more possible and available than they would have presumed otherwise. But it's still more of a risk when you're not in a special container that specifically catered to trying to encourage people to express their queer desires. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just, it is uh, really telling that even in that container where people are so encouraged to express themselves and just be more uninhibited that there's still, like, that really rigid...
0: Fear of rejection. And, like,
1: you, you can see it in people's bodies. that There's so much tension. I appreciate that you brought up the specific context of the trans and queer community because I do take that for granted. <laughs> and I think that... If I ever reference community <laughs> in this <laughs> podcast,
0: no, that's it, it.
1: It's, yeah, it's like definitely taking for granted it's queer and trans shit, which I have a hard time imagining people who aren't in those communities would find any interest in this podcast. But, you know, there's people who haven't figured things out yet for themselves. Curious. And so.
0: Curious little eggs.
1: <laughs> so yeah so yeah thank you for specifying mm-hmm. that because that is a factor that really the queerness and the, the homophobia transphobia and that, and that fear of being a predator and how that really pervades so much of the discourse that is impacting all of us all of the time it really gets into every single layer of Mm -hmm. stuff that we deal with when we're engaging interpersonally with others, even in community. Some things I think about when thinking about the theme of rejection is the impact of desirability politics in our communities and the impacts of pervasive internalized biases on the basis of race, class, gender presentation, size disability and more i don't necessarily have anything <laughs> to say about like that's like a prescriptive thing about that but just to name that that is something that impacts people's experiences of rejection and on top of the stuff we already talked about just what's inherent and in having queer desire mm-hmm. and being a, like a gender deviant i i You know, want to ask maybe a rhetorical question. How can we just interrogate these things that impact whether or not we want to be in proximity to Mm. people around us? Yeah. Does anything come up for you when I say that? Yeah,
0: I think it's also, too, trying to maintain that curiosity we've been talking about. I'm thinking about how some folks tend to say, like, oh, my type is this. That can be so limiting and... I've also found that the more that I get to know folks, I tend to be more attractive to them or have Mm -hmm. different desires that have nothing to do with looks or types or things Mm -hmm. like that. Also, as a pansexual, (laughs) how could I possibly have a type? Yeah, I think that's something to consider that by boxing yourself off and limiting yourself to a certain type, are you really missing out? on the potential for different types of intimacy Mm -hmm. that could develop if you were more curious and open
1: you saying that also reminds me of another reflection i had about this theme later we're gonna like answer questions that are more personal about our experiences with rejection but to connect it to this idea of like the secret third thing and like doing things that are outside of monogamy and polyamory, one thing that I think of is the way that specifically being committed to monogamy and, or just like the couple form in the ways that like the social power that exists there, I think it's a lot easier to feed into this, well, for one, like a scarcity mindset. Um, Well, yeah, scarcity is a thing that was coming up for me. And so when you're thinking like, well you have to pick one person and you know and you're trying to pick someone who's gonna meet all of your needs the best and like we don't always have a a clear picture on reality yeah when we're thinking about that but i do think that when we limit ourselves in how we imagine where we can connect with other people it does make it more likely that we are going to box out people who could add to our lives and who we could add to their lives as well. And we don't even give that a chance, or people don't give that a chance, when they're so focused on who they're going to marry and yeah. build their life with in nuclear atomized units. And do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I do.
0: I think that moving in that way isolates folks before they even commit to a couple form especially when we've been hurt in the past traumatized in abusive relationships and trying to break out of those patterns i think it's very common to say i have this list of things that are non-negotiable for me of of things that i'm looking for in a person Mm -hmm. to try to keep ourselves safe when really it isolates us further and keeps Mm -hmm. us away from community rather than you know you go like let's say a monogamous person goes on a date and they're like oh they they checked a lot of my boxes but they didn't check this one so i'm just gonna cut it off now whereas that could have been a great friend or even a lover for a while that's the first thing that comes to mind there
1: could be more fluidity in connection Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes when i have talked about this with other people maybe Specifically, it was in college, yeah, I had a class on like philosophy and sexuality, and I think there's like this idea that it's like settling, like if you want to have a connection with someone and you know that they're not meeting all your needs, or like you if you would want a connection with them that isn't monogamous, but you wouldn't want a monogamous relationship with them, that somehow, if you wouldn't want both there's some problem with that i don't know i guess for me i used to feel bothered by this idea especially because a lot of times with being disabled people are like well that person well if they're if you know they don't want to be monogamous with you then they must not really love you Mm. and that was the big conflict that happened when i did deliberately go into non-monogamy where even though it was my idea (laughs) It was a mutual decision, but I was really a driving force in it. I was dealing with people putting these ideas in my head. I think disabled people bear a lot of the burden of that negative True. bias or messaging. But it's just like, actually nobody can meet everybody's needs. And there are like some logistical, actual material things that can come up when disability is involved. As well as just everybody has things that they can and cannot do, or that they do want to do or don't want to do with their relationships with others. And I would just prefer to move into an asset framework (laughs) and not see it in that way. So true. That makes sense. No, of course it
0: does. (laughs) No, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I also think when we see our relationships as fixed where we think this person can meet these needs and even subconsciously, and therefore they're going to do it forever, really puts ourselves in boxes and sets us up for disappointment. Because whether it's disability or just the changes that come with life and the fact that we're all changing all the time, when we're ready for change as a commitment to to our values, like Mm -hmm. embracing it in that way, and moving towards this place of abundance, of knowing that there's possibility to meet new people who want what you want all the time, rather than being like, okay, person number one is going to meet X, Y, Z need. Person number two is going to meet the, uh, you know, we can't map out our lives like that forever. It might work for a little while, but inevitably things are going to change.
1: I appreciate that we just touched on something relevant to... The theme of rejection, knowing we're not going to (laughs) fully get into everything. Now I want to shift to talking about some of our own experiences. (laughs) I'll start off. We have a few questions. The first question is, what is your relationship to rejection? Or in other words, or another way to think about it could be, what are the most prominent contexts that rejection has shown up for you?
0: Before I knew that I was trans or disabled, and before I got California sober, which essentially means I, I still smoke weed, I I was and mostly had party friends. And as I got sick and stopped drinking and partying, a lot of those friends ghosted completely. And then the ones for the most part, who were remaining when I came out as trans, disappeared as well. And at the time, I took that rejection extremely hard. It impacted my health as well because stress directly impacts my immune system. And now looking back, I can see that I'm really glad (laughs) that it happened because it has forced me to create new connections and really assess What kind of friend I want to be um, Mm. as well as what kind of friends that I'm looking for I now know that for my body mind I'm only interested in queer connections and really seeking out not only queer connections but trans connections disabled connections Mm -hmm. and I'm definitely not compatible with every queer trans disabled person are you sure (laughs) i'm (laughs) positive (laughs) we've talked a lot about uh what we've called conflicting types of neurodivergence which doesn't mean anybody's bad but sometimes it just cannot work out even if you align very well on paper
1: yeah well i have another term for that which is clashing tisms.
0: Yes! <laughs> yes! I love that. I love that so much. It's funny, that has led to many misunderstandings and, and disconnect for me. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that there can't be a, a connection in the future as we change and grow again and inevitably, but I've also found connections with other folks who I'm aligned with mm-hmm. in that way where it's this almost instantaneous access intimacy that continues to build through intention and communication but not having to explain so much and and almost I feel like with a lot of abled and neurotypical people especially when I was trying so hard to be cis trying Mm -hmm. so hard to be abled and when I just could never be Mm -hmm. trying to justify myself a lot to people in a way that was really, really exhausting that I didn't even realize how much energy I was spending on it until I've been surrounded by, by folks who I can really relax with and mm. feel seen with. Ironically, I think rejection has helped me to find people that I'm yeah. more aligned with, but it was also a very difficult and painful process.
1: I wonder, from what you're sharing, if you shifted who you were in order to like avoid rejection Mm -hmm. like what you're describing previous to these connections that you're talking about where you describe experiencing access intimacy which is a term that I believe was coined by but if not coined by it's been written about by someone we've referenced before Mia Mingus before that it it sounds like you are like masking
0: yes yes yeah and, and I had and, and no that's idea like a, that's what I was doing
1: a term for like what people who identify with autism usually and I I thought I think it can be for neurodivergence in, yeah just yeah. more generally too
0: on top of masking neurodivergence I was also trying to mask the physical disabilities um, right? that I was dealing with that I didn't have the names for yet as well as yeah my transness Uh, which I was hiding from myself most of all. So, yeah, I think because I couldn't... I wasn't at a place to be ready to accept myself, I certainly could not handle rejection um, from other folks because I was so busy rejecting myself.
1: Yeah, it sounds to me like inauthenticity with yourself and outward facing was like a self-protective measure. Yeah. Because if you were to... Have been able to be in a space where you could even accept who you were Which you couldn't because It's not even like it was like It's not an easy choice It's like all these social forces where There's medical gaslighting Mm -hmm. Gaslighting from people around you Who you know maybe it was out of ignorance A lot of I know a lot of times it is With Mm -hmm. invisible chronic illness All these forces are telling you That what you're experiencing Isn't real So you're not able to confront it to yourself but every time that you are inauthentic and aren't true to who you are and honoring how you want to show up in the world or your access needs uh you're rewarded (laughs) you you were even now you are rewarded even when you do that but you do it a lot less
0: yeah right well and i was also in extreme high femme drag constantly (laughs) yeah like to a very painful extent i'm talking like even though i'm disabled super high heels straightening my hair shaving every day this almost obsessive compulsion to try to pass as a cis woman which was so difficult for me And people would always say oh you're so overdressed and I was just putting on this persona to survive and it was much easier to put on that persona than to be rejected for who I was because I couldn't accept myself how could other people that's how I felt at the time And
1: so when you started answering this that's like what you were talking about when you were beginning to be more authentic to yourself then you experience rejection Mm -hmm. from those people Mm-hmm. I can
0: tell you now, being my true self has brought so many more quality connections mm-hmm. that I don't think I realized how vapid my connections mm-hmm. were until right. I started building genuine ones.
1: Yeah, my own relationship to rejection is very much informed by having a congenital disability, which is a term for being born with with a disability. But specifically in the way that it has impacted my physical body, I've had, like, a lot of surgeries because of disfigurement, which some people don't like the term, but I've, it just makes the most sense to me. <laughs> There's a, a notion, I think, is somewhat of a fantasy of, like, what is considered an ideal fit body. And (laughs) I don't think anyone really You know I mean I'm sure there's some people who match it more than others I think most people don't But like very much There's visual Physical signifiers That have been present since I was born that Indicate that there's something Deviant about me Mm. And so for me because of That experience I have been socialized To just assume rejection in most, honestly, most contexts. And so, I guess I would, like, say that another term for this could be, like, internalized undesirability. I just, you know, I would assume that, like, people didn't want to be my friend, and that was just, like, from a young age. But it's interesting, because I did have friends, and unfortunately, though, as I've gotten older, I realize a lot of these friends were made in church i've had people who i thought were my friends in as young as preschool like later on because of whatever their lack of ability to know what to say or not to say to people you know they're like oh like my mom made me invite you you know like that kind of stuff and it's just interesting because i wasn't always aware of how authentic every connection was but we're you know so young so this is like i'm just trying to get at how deeply rooted this is for me so that's the the very overarching context of my relationship with rejection but later on in like adolescence when you know hitting puberty all of that caused me to write off my queerness as like desperation mm. which uh is interesting cuz it's not a very logical thing and yet I have seen other people like with a similar background as me or if it's not the same identity as me other people who tend to be perceived as like undesirable for other reasons they've had the same narrative you must only want someone who's not a man because you can't get a man, I would be like, Oh, this you know, my queerness my queerness must not be authentic. But then even when the desire was so strong, which it was, ever like my my queer desire has been very strong ever <laughs> ever since I was an adolescent. This the social context of living in a small town with a very, very small, tight knit social network it compounded the fear of expressing any vulnerability, and that would be a queer desire or not a queer desire. Both felt super high stakes for for me. I talked to some people who are maybe like like queer women or people who are comfortable using like femininity to I guess like attract men (laughs) whether or not they identify within like a binary and i've heard a lot of like narratives from people expressing that they have a lot of anxiety of rejection from like women or people who the relationship would make it perceived as queer but Mm. that they don't have as much anxiety or stress when it comes to like engaging with cis men yeah and i i think that that is a very pervasive experience and it is not my experience. <laughs> like, it's, like, across the board for me. And so it's always fascinating, you know, I've alluded to in our last episode about just how I've had such a hard time going for things that, that I want. The more I talk to other people, the more I'm like, oh, well, no shit. <laughs> of course yeah. it's hard because it's been socialized at at every level. So the next question is how do you feel that this, what we just talked about, has impacted you in the way that you've navigated relationships?
0: Some of the most activating rejections Mm -hmm. for me have been from friends who desired me previously. And even now in this place of relationship anarchy or non hierarchical non-monogamy, where... I'm really working to embrace the fluidity of connection. That shit hurts. (laughs) (laughs) And it hurts real bad. I found that it can make me want to react in ways that don't align with my values and can really trigger my trauma, my nervous system, my wounded inner child. And even though I know that de-escalation is possible that change is inevitable. Sometimes we grow apart from people that we still love and mm-hmm. even possibly grow to the point of incompatibility. Doesn't make it hurt any less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doesn't make it even necessarily an easier process. I think the thing that has made it somewhat tolerable at the at the worst moments is knowing that I can rely on my crew and my web. Mm-hmm. And I think there are lots of ways that we're told to handle rejection, right? Which I stand by some of them, like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: eat some ice cream, vent to a friend, cry, Mm -hmm. fucking cry, go work out, take some sexy pics, jerk off. All great things, highly recommend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I also think we need to... Confront romanticism as well as assessing comp- compatibility as we change and really meditate and think about is this actually what I want or am I am I scared of change
1: mm-hmm. or
0: am I scared of not being as close to somebody in the ways that I that I was before
1: would you define romanticism as being a little bit out of touch with what the actual reality of a connection is. Yes.
0: Uh, Putting someone on a pedestal, right? right? Yeah. And and therefore not seeing them for who they really are. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's really common to do that when we've had, even when it's not a long-term connection, but especially when it's a long-term connection and you get used to this comfort, mm. comfort of this is what the connection is.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that it can show up. Maybe in even a similar intensity, but in very different ways from like when, because you referenced this in a, one of the other episodes about like NRE, we were talking Mm -hmm. about it and I think there's a lot of factors at play that can make us romanticize people and not see them for who they really are in that context. But it just seems like, at least from what I can think of off the top of my head, it's just so different when it's a long-term connection. Maybe it's not even useful to uh, to compare no, but intensity. It's different, yeah. But just to say that, like, yeah, I I totally hear you. That it is like it can be intense uh, in its Especially... in a unique way in a long-term dynamic, and I don't think that's talked about as much. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know.
0: I also think there's added intensity as queer people. A lot of us have built chosen family. And mm, mm-hmm. the folks that we've built that initial, first, secure attachment with, mm. there can be a lot of emotions surrounding that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I've discovered for myself, like things that I didn't even realize that I mm-hmm. was feeling or expectations that I didn't realize that I had that didn't that don't align with my values but I still felt them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and needed to address them and I also think that you know there's a lot of stigma around what's called like taking a break but I think that taking space can be really really good (laughs) whether it still means that you drift apart from people or reconnect I think we all need a lot more space than we realize and when we get really comfortable with someone, it can be much harder to discern where that line is and mm-hmm. how much space that you need. And especially, too, like sharing living space with people. That's a, that's a whole other factor. I struggle with that, for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that if you do take space and realize, you know what, we are still compatible. Things are just different. Our desires are different. Our personalities are different. Our goals are different maybe discuss how you could possibly connect in, in new, mutually desired ways Yeah, and try to work to see the person that you're romanticizing for who they really are.
1: One thing I'm thinking about when you're saying this is, I wonder in this context that, that you're referencing, where you're talking about it being a longer term love, wanting you in a different way Mm -hmm. essentially but for you it is interpreted as rejection Mm -hmm. and not to say that it couldn't be but what what I'm wondering is like if all of that other previous experiences with rejection make it hard to actually discern when something is Rejection, yeah, and when we're being triggered because we're afraid of being rejected. So I'm wondering if this is true for you, but I think for me, sometimes it can be hard to not see things in such a binary way. Yes, and so especially if, when
0: I'm triggered.
1: Yeah, so
0: or activated.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wonder what you think about that because no. I definitely think this is something. That can come up a lot in, especially thinking about referencing, crafting your own relationships. Yeah. And, you know, using, say, the, the R.A. smorgasbord. Say that you're you're looking at it, you're picking the different pieces that you want, and you're comparing it with the other person, and they don't totally line up. Well, it doesn't mean that the other person doesn't want you at all yeah and it's turning you away but because of this way that i feel like most of us have been socialized to be in this all or nothing kind of thinking yeah if the desires aren't totally lined up it can feel hard to not see it as a total shutting out yeah and i know
0: logically Mm-hmm. that de-escalation and changing desires in all their different forms
1: mm-hmm.
0: is not inherently rejection I, I know that it's actually a form of love it's like setting boundaries right
1: mm-hmm.
0: saying this is how I'm able to connect with you and this is how I want to connect with you but that doesn't mean that it can't feel like rejection right? And and bring up those feelings for us and mm-hmm. so I feel like when we feel rejected, like is there's not really much of a difference because we still have to process it yeah. as though it is a rejection. Sometimes,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like regardless of yeah whether it it is or it isn't, you're feeling it. That is so relevant to to that question of how you feel rejection has impacted you and how you navigate relationships because whether or not this last context you're referencing is technically rejection or not. It's like all of... The fact that rejection exists and that so much can be at stake when rejection is present, that makes it feel intense. And it has real impacts.
0: Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Super real. <laughs> We're back to the screaming, crying, throwing up.
1: <laughs> yeah. But also,
0: um, there, there's a lot of possibility within this where... Mm -hmm. I try to remind and ground myself that if someone is communicating, wanting change to me, that is a bid for connection in itself.
1: Right. Wow. Look at you. The the (laughs) reframe. I love it. Okay. I'm going to answer the question. For me, rejection, I feel like I've already answered it, but also I'll elaborate, you know, just it's impacted everything. (laughs) Just the... Yeah, I think I spoke to that with just how pervasive of a theme it's been for me. Uh, I've also, I've thought about a lot about how the context of someone's life, like somebody in a similar embodiment as me, or even arguably somebody who has more things that can be interpreted as undesirable. Like they could be in a social context, that they could be more socially empowered <laughs> than me, and be very, you know, can move through space, not fearing rejection so much. But I think, for me, I was really—I just received messaging from everyone, like my family, and it wasn't hurt, like, or it was hurtful. It wasn't meant to be the way it was, mm-hmm. where it's like if i ever was brave enough to express some desire that was perceived as by my family or people around me as out of reach then they would try to like pat it for me somehow and be like oh are you sure like are you sure that that's what you want Mm -hmm. and kind of like giving me this messaging that like oh okay you think this too, like, the internal thoughts I had wasn't coming from nowhere, like, so anyway, so I think a lot about how this is very much specific to me, and there's not necessarily, like, one way that somebody in my embodiment can experience this stuff, but for, yeah, for me, one thing I've reflected on recently is, I think, a coping mechanism that is possible that I use because of this intensity of Like fear of rejection, or just how painful it feels to be rejected is, I think that my desires tend to be more abstract than specific. Mm. So, this isn't something I've consciously thought about literally until, like, maybe within the past month, but I think that I, if I reflect on it, it seems like maybe that feels safer. Because if I'm not specifying a subject of my desire then it's not as scary to yeah be rejected by like because here's an example that's not sexual sometimes for example when I have been say like in crisis or something that feels like an emotionally intense time rather than reaching out to specific people to ask for help I will curate like my close friends list on instagram to people who i feel safe if they were to reach out to me and i will say hey i'm having a hard time can somebody reach out to me and then i will usually get someone to reach out and then i don't take the ignoring it or lack of response as a no or as a rejection and so i think that that actually makes a lot of sense when for that context when I recognize... I love that, actually. I think yeah. that's really great. Yeah, it's like, and when I recognize that I'm in, like, a triggered state where it's like, oh, like, he, having somebody tell me no, even though I logically could recognize people need boundaries and honor their capacity, to, right. I, like, I feel like but recognizing needed... it could push me over the edge. Yes. It's like, this feels better. And so I think that I, I want to not see it as necessarily something that is totally maladaptive or whatever but in the context of uh, interpersonal intimacy sexual desire things like that i wish sometimes i was able to access things that were specific more often because it's almost like can come off as apathy in the face of lots of possible connections or um (laughs) you know opportunities to be intimate with people that could feel really fulfilling for me, if I were to act on it, but because my desires being abstract has been a coping mechanism, it's harder to access that specificity. So I really have to push myself. Yeah. So to
0: name the specific desire.
1: Hmm. Yes, and uh, yeah, and so then I'll just wrap up what this part too, because I feel like once again there's so much I could <laughs> say, but definitely like my experiences with rejection have made me have more of a disorganized but like avoidant leaning attachment style (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which um i originally thought i was much more anxiously attached and like yeah after like two seconds (laughs) of thinking that was when i was very much in like a a mindset of thinking of like monogamy and like just oh it's only about one person like it's like i have had an anxious leaning style with like one person but when i think about just in general mm-hmm. like that is definitely not the case like i'm very avoidant i tend to assume that those who want me a lot of times that they want to hurt me mm. and this has been because some of my first experiences being aware that people did want me was that they wanted to hurt me or mm. that they were fetishizing me, which is, for me, being fetishized as a a small, disabled, disfigured person, I can only attribute that to being infantilized in their perception of my powerlessness, and that's not how I see myself. I, I don't want to, yeah, identify as anything, but definitely I like having more control. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it feels very much like, um unsafe. But what what is sad about that then is sometimes there's people who are expressing genuine interest in me. And some and once again this isn't even only in the realm of sexuality or romance or anything. It could be platonic as well. But there's people who are genuinely trying to see me, genuinely trying to connect, and they're not pedestalizing me or infantilizing me or fetishizing me or doing any weird thing. And if, like, I don't have enough information at the outset, then I will just be like, I don't trust them, and shut it down. And it can be really sad because, I mean, who knows how many connections I've missed out on because I'm trying to protect myself. Yeah. So. That also just made me think,
0: I, I know I've talked about, my experience how i didn't experience secure attachment until mm-hmm. i was in my late 20s but i have experienced every type of attachment style <laughs> depending on the person mm-hmm. and although i've been able to work towards secure attachment it's still uh on an individual basis where i feel like you and i have worked towards secure attachment yeah. like it's still something that i ha- actually have to work on yeah. and as things change and triggers come up and things like that. Like mm-hmm. even people that I've experienced secure attachment with all have these moments right. um, where stuff pops up. So it's it's not like, oh, I have reached secure attachment. My work is done. Yeah. <laughs> also, you
1: know, it's interesting because I still like to reference the attachment theory. Like it is just something that is like a thing that is correct and like a good model and and I've listened to some criticisms of it recently mm. that I have found valuable and also I do think that it has become so ubiquitous that I still even with the criticisms of it and the taken-for-granted implications of it where I think even in the way we're talking about it is not exactly what is in the research you know but yeah. I think that we know what we're talking about and I think that it will translate to you know to people who are listening but just to say that like it is so much more fluid I believe and that's what you're saying than any of what the straight up research or theory how they describe it
0: And I I mostly like, I find it useful as a communication tool. Yes. So take take that with a grain of salt, use it how it works for you. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be really helpful, especially when we're triggered and trying to build relationships with people. I've really appreciated it when some friends have said to me, I'm feeling very avoidant right now. I'm feeling, you know, these things and that's why I've been acting like this. And Can we negotiate some things to help me through this? You know, it's a great communication. Yeah, I I totally
1: agree. Yes, so much to be said about rejection. I think now we're gonna go into our closing part, but we received some
0: some secrets, secrets. some some confessions, confessions, some questions, right? That are relevant to rejection. We had a submission that said, "I want to transition." To live my best slutty life, but I'm scared. And that's real as fuck. And I want to say that my transition started the second that I said out loud that I'm trans. I'm not able to go on testosterone right now due to medical reasons. And I don't want top surgery. Mm -hmm. My tits, I feel, are extremely masculine. And having that validated and my transmaskness and my identity within my circles has been so empowering and really helped me to to live my best slutty life and to have sex and pleasure in ways that I never dreamed of being possible and I think that the anticipation and like putting your life on hold waiting for the perfect time Is worse. There's real barriers, of course, right? right? Like, especially for folks who are maybe in like nuclear family dynamics, whether they're still living with their uh, nuclear family, whether they're a part of one, whether they don't have the financial ability to get the certain types of transitions that they that they would want. But even if you can't get to a point of quote-unquote passing, I, I feel like that does not need to be the goal. There are ways that we can be our true selves without that. Although, of course, I, I want everyone to have access to what, they, what right. they truly desire. But your life can start right now.
1: The thing that comes to mind for me is I... And, and also acknowledging that there's some things that people feel... That they need to be met before they can truly go after some desires, especially like sexually, because of how it impacts how people perceive them, all these things. But I guess sometimes I wonder if because it is so scary to go after the things that we want, we set up these goalposts that are always just out of reach. Mm. So I I feel like I just want to Leave that as like a Thing to reflect on Because there Yeah like you said Like there are real barriers <laughs> Right And I think for me I'm just kind of Thinking about Is there more possibility To get what you want In your life That can exist right now Or that you can get Right now mm-hmm. Even if it's not everything And if you know, and it doesn't have to require this arbitrary prerequisite. And not to say that it, right. it is arbitrary, but sometimes, it, it, I mean, it, it is. There, there are people who will affirm you and see you
0: for who you are right now, regardless yes. of where you're at in your transition mm-hmm. or if you've even started it. And it feels great. And especially with other trans folks, you know, there's that communication of, especially with a lot of the scripts we have about sex we're taught oh i can't like change my mind about wanting to be touched here or how do i explain that i want my dick sucked when you know i don't traditionally look like what we're taught dicks look like we are capable (laughs) of getting each other off and Mm -hmm. in these beautiful ways that are so outside of these scripts i do want to reference the zine by mira bellwether Mm. fucking trans women i did Um, read
1: that recently
0: fantastic place to start if you want to learn how to really get trans people off
1: you deserve to get the the pleasure that you want now hell yeah hell yeah well thank you so much for being open to this topic yeah, thanks. thanks
0: for bringing it up. And yeah. I'm really curious to see if anyone wants to share how they handle rejection and how rejection has impacted them. And as usual, all the all the secrets, all the desires, we want to hear them. Yes,
1: and I, I am also curious to hear some strategies that people might use to build resilience to rejection. Yes, which i think maybe that could be another even another whole yeah. uh, episode because i send just them didn't realize all these things that yeah. we can talk about
0: send them our way find us at a uh, secret third thing podcast at instagram and also um at gmail
1: right send it's- it our way awesome thank you all <laughs>